listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Here it is. Jesus is dead. He's been crucified. The disciples are left confused. They're hurting. They're crushed. They're hiding out. They're, they're fearful, wondering if they might be next. The Roman soldiers may come for them next. This was not how it was supposed to play out. You ever been in that situation in life? All of a sudden you get to a certain point and you think, it wasn't supposed to go like this. It wasn't supposed to go like this for the disciples, especially for Peter. Jesus even promised him some sort of great place in the kingdom or in, in, in specifically even a part of building the church. How can it happen now? He's dead. Hopes and dreams, plans, they're crushed. Future now is uncertain. One of them, one of the 12, one of the 12 even betrayed Jesus. I mean, just, I mean, it was just like crazy, the events, the activities that took place and brought them to this point. Now today, we can take advantage because we're living on this side of history. We know the rest of the story. We know that, yes, it's Friday, but we know what is coming on Sunday, right? I want to declare to you this afternoon as we look back at what took place on this Good Friday that the King of Kings, the God of this universe, for the disciples and for all mankind, still had one more move. And in your life today, the King, God of the universe has in your life at least one more and multitudes amount of moves of how he desires to work in your life. And it's all because of what we're celebrating this weekend. But over the next few moments, we're going to take time to reflect on what took place there on that Friday. The cross, the suffering, the death. It was all necessary. It was all part of God's plan to redeem the world. It was all completely necessary, every part of it. And a part of God's plan involved the shedding of blood. Now, just listen to this quote by John Stott. You'll see it on the screen. God's holiness demanded a response to our sin. His justice required a response, and his love desired it. Isn't that amazing? You see, doing nothing was not an option for God. He had to do something about our sin. Stott goes on to say, the next part of that quote, that God's holiness means that he had to inflict punishment. He had to inflict it on someone or assume it. And he chose the latter. He bore the brunt of his own judgment. Our punishment that we so deserved Our debt was paid, our salvation secured, our eternal life a certainty as a result of this Good Friday. Now, a very important word or term that is used throughout the New Testament, and and we're going to look at some of these verses speaking about our redemption, speaking about what took place on this Good Friday, is the word blood. His blood was shed, the precious blood of Christ. Now, when we start talking about blood, we oftentimes will start to get, you know, to us, 
when we think of blood, it's not necessarily a good thing. We get maybe a little queasy when at the thought of blood or the sight of blood, and I'm sure some of us in this room here, if we were to talk afterwards about some experiences you've had with blood of yourself or someone else's, that it left you thinking, you know, a little faint or maybe even fainted because just the thought of blood for us isn't very exciting. And in ancient times, blood, however, was a symbol of violence, of wrongdoing. It was a, 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 something that brought on guilt and punishment, it would mean. It, 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 it signifies death sickness, uncleanness, and yet the Bible says that the blood of Christ was shed and the blood of Christ is at the very heart of our salvation. Without his blood, we cannot be saved. Sadly, in the last number of decades, there have been churches that have found talking about the blood, making reference to the blood of Christ, either in messages or in songs, could be offensive, and so they've shied away from it. The blood of Christ is downplayed oftentimes. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want people to think that we are part of a bloody religion. We are part of a blood religion, a blood faith. So we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to sing about it necessarily too much. It makes people uncomfortable. And I, I must confess, years ago as a younger pastor, for a season in the church that I was pastoring, we downplayed the blood of Christ. We didn't sing the songs and the hymns that talked about the blood of Christ on Sunday mornings. We didn't want to, you know, sort of gross people out or confuse them in any sort of way. The seekers, the outsiders that were coming in the door of our church, we didn't want them to get turned off by singing about the songs about the blood. You know, songs like, Are You Washed in the Blood? I mean, that sounds pretty creepy, doesn't it? Or, there's power in the blood, and we're singing this to, you know, lifting the rafters in our churches. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. And you have some outsider walking in and thinking, what are they talking about? And so we shy away from it. But after a few months, I was so convicted that we cannot ignore the blood. We must sing about it. We must talk about it. We must grow in our understanding of the blood of Christ and repented before God, before the leaders in our church. And we took the blood of Christ seriously, and so we must today. Oh, may we come to know and grow and love and come with a greater understanding of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, Leviticus 17, it says, for the life of a creature is in the blood. In other words, there's power in the blood. You know that full well. I mean, any sort of medical knowledge, even a little bit, knows that, that, that there's power flowing through us because the power that's flowing through us comes from our blood. The life of an animal, of a human. No blood, no life. And at times, various medical conditions and reasons, blood transfusions are necessary. A niece of mine who uh, has recently um, undergone some surgery, she has a very rare skin disorder, very debilitating. She was worn down after these surgeries, and so this past week, she had a blood transfusion. And my sister said it was just like instantaneously that her, 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 her levels of energy and her mind uh, just, just came alive. Why? Because there was a fresh flow of blood. There was new blood flowing in and through her. There was power in the blood. You see, folks, for us, for our salvation, no blood, no salvation. No blood, no cleansing. And so the blood is important. And Leviticus 17 goes on to say, it is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. 
So don't be offended by the blood. We need to be thankful for the blood of Christ. As we grow in our understanding, we're going to look at, at, at just a number of verses that reference this. That in the next few moments, we're going to look at the importance of this precious, precious blood of Jesus that's flowed on this day. First of all, we see our sins are forgiven by the blood. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. From very on, early on in, in creation, we see that there was a cost to our sin. And throughout the Bible, we see that the punishment for sin is death, and it starts right back in Genesis 3, and it even continues in Romans 3 when Paul says, he says, for the wages of sin is death. In the Old Testament, they needed to follow through with blood sacrifices, but these blood sacrifices were temporary and only atoned for sin in a partial kind of a way for a short period of time. That's why year after year and throughout the course of the year, sacrifices would have to be made. Blood sacrifices would have to be made for their sins to be atoned and to be forgiven, but that was only temporary. But when Christ came, his offer was once for all. His blood, once for all, for all time, for all people, making future sacrifices unnecessary. When Jesus declared from the cross, it is finished. It wasn't just declaring that he was dying. He was declaring that the blood of bulls and goats and lambs would need to flow no more because he was the once for all sacrifice. And only by accepting his blood that was shed on the cross for the remission of our sins is how we can be forgiven. We can stand before God, forgiven, stand with his righteousness. The second thing we see about his blood is that we are cleansed by the blood. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, my wife Charlotte, um, she has this inherited condition from her parents, and, and it runs rampant in her family. It's called good deal-itis. If they find a good deal, they've got to do something about it. They've got to buy it. They've got to get, get as much of it and as many of you. And I'm not lying about this. My brother-in-law has, I counted this summer, when, this past summer when we were at his, at his place in Saskatoon, over a hundred fishing rods. A hundred. And they're nice fishing rods. He's got good deal-itis. I'm like, why did you buy that one? Well, that one's for when I fish in the ocean. Like, how many times have you done that? Once. You know, and, and, and this one is for catching this kind of fish and all of this. He has over 100 of them. Well, years ago in a church when we were pastoring, I um, brought a bunch of dish detergent onto the stage. And it was part of an illustration. And it was box after box. And it looked like either I robbed or I had bought out a grocery store with all of the um, detergent boxes that I had on the stage. It was... Truth be known, it was just from our house because, once again, my wife has good dealitis from her family. And, uh, and, and we had box upon box of, you know, good deals on, on, on all kinds of detergents. And so we had all these detergents on this stage. And you know what ended up happening to every one of those detergents? They got used. They got used to clean up after some grimy kids and a husband. And eventually it ran out and she had to find some more good deals. And, and more good deals, and, and she won't buy soap unless she finds, or any sort of detergent product unless there's a good deal or a coupon. You know, and, and, and I'm thankful for that, but it goes on to tell us that, that there is only one thing that's going to cleanse us from 
the stain of sin, and that is the blood of Christ. It is the detergent. It is, it is the active ingredient that allows for our sins to be cleansed. It tells us that, that, um, that our sins are cleansed by His precious blood. Cleanse us from, what does it say there in 1 John 1.7? From some sin. What does it say? From all sin. All sin. How amazing is that? This is the good news that the blood of Christ cleanses us from our sins. And there is no stain that his blood cannot cleanse. You need to hear that today. No sin that you have ever committed. And some of you are being accused even probably throughout the day, maybe even today, that you've crossed the line. You've sinned too much, too far. You've done too much. There is no sin that his blood will not cleanse. Believe that. That's not my word. That's what the Bible says. But God's word tells us. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen. Number three, we are brought near by the blood. Ephesians 2.13, it says, But now in Christ, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Our sin separates us from God. And that separation is, is an infinite chasm. But his blood brings us near. It brings us into a relationship with him, and it brings us into a relationship with one another. If you are a brother and sister in Christ, if you are a Christ follower here today, we're brothers and sisters because of his blood. So amazing. You go to churches all over the world. You find people in airports. You find them in huts. You find them you know, in cities and villages and towns. And, and, and if they're believers in Jesus Christ, we're brothers and sisters. We're adopted into the same family. It's such a beautiful thing. We're brought near. God and to one another through the blood. Fourthly, we are freed by the blood. Revelation 1, 5, and 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. We just haven't been washed of our sin, but freed from its power. It's stained. We are set free. But also, we're freed from the consequences and from condemnation. Consequences that our sins deserve is death, means separation from God, and we are free from that because of the blood of Christ. Our sin calls for that kind of death, but we are free from the blood. And fifthly, we are justified by the blood. Romans 5, 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now, this is just amazing. Justification has taken place here. Justification is a legal term. We've been justified by his blood, and this justification is a legal term where God, the supreme judge, declares the unrighteous righteous. The gavel sounds like in a courtroom, innocent, justified. And in God's sight, because of the blood of Christ, Jesus, that Jesus shed on our behalf, when God looks at us, he sees us in light of the death, the blood of his son. Now listen up, this is amazing. God did not only declare you legally innocent, he declared his son guilty of my sin, of your sin. That's an incredible truth. God just didn't declare you legally innocent, he declared then his son. Someone had to pay, and it was his son. At the cross he came what we are so that we could become what he is. Einstein said, we become righteous. It's in God's word. 
That's a great exchange. That's why we worship. That's why we sacrifice. That's why we ascribe worth to him. That's why we serve him. That's why we give our lives to him. That's why we surrender ourselves to him because of all that he has done. He is so worthy. And sixth, and lastly, we are redeemed by the blood. In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1.7 says, redemption carries the idea that our price has been paid. We've been bought back. You can't buy a salvation. You can't buy your freedom. You can't buy freedom from the guilt over the sins you've committed. Nothing. And yet we have, it's all been redeemed. It's been bought. It's been paid for because of the blood of Christ. This term redeem or redemption means to buy back. It's like that, a buying back of a slave. And when a slave is bought back, he is free. And the same for us that when we have been bought back, when we have experienced the blood of Christ, his flow into our lives, he has purchased our freedom, and we are no longer slaves to sin. Galatians 4, 7 says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Oh, the precious blood. And ask the worship band to come, and we're going to sing in a moment. See how valuable, how beautiful. This blood isn't gory. It isn't disgusting. It is amazing. It is powerful. It is life-giving. And we could go on, and we can look at other passages of Scripture that talk about the blood, how we're reconciled by the blood. We've been sanctified through the blood. We are ransomed from the, through the blood. But we need to sing at this point and thank him for the precious blood that flowed freely. He went to the cross willingly. Not easily, but he went willingly. And we need to ascribe some worth to God for his precious blood, his incredible sacrifice. And so stand together as we worship our Lord here this afternoon.